everybody. Welcome to Defy Convention. I'm Emily Lonegro, founder and owner of Lime Red. This podcast features our friends and clients who break boundaries, challenge the status quo, take risks, and make big change. Lime Red is a 16-year-old design agency that's a B Corp and has always been committed to social justice and impact since day one. This podcast is an incarnation of our BC, that's before coronavirus, in-person series dedicated to the same ideas of breaking boundaries and defying convention. Recently, when we talked to people about what they wanted in a podcast series, everyone said, we want to talk about mental health, boundaries, justice, and momentum. These ideas matter no matter who you are, and we need to talk about them right now. Let's get started. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Defy Convention. Today I'm joined by Avery Bilyeu. She is an educator, nonprofit director, and religious leader whose experience spans higher ed, civil rights, and public health. She is an in-demand speaker of the topics of sexual orientation and gender identity and has trained professionals across the legal, higher education, and corporate sectors regarding the creation of affirming and welcoming spaces for LGBTQ plus people. Ms. Bellew serves as the regional director for South Central Region of Lambda Legal, a national organization committed to achieving full recognition to the civil rights of lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, transgender, transgender people, and everyone living with HIV. She is a graduate of Appalachian State University and Bright Divinity School, where she earned a master's in divinity amazing. Avery identifies as spiritual and a religious wanderer and a Jew by choice. She lives in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area with her partner Nathaniel and their energetic dog Indy and mischievous cat Percy. <laughs> and right now we're in the middle of the Texas snowstorm and, and freeze out. So I'm really lucky to have you here and um, safe and warm and with power. So that thank you, yes. the universe or whatever spiritual thing you believe in. Thank you. <laughs> All the gods, all of them. Thank, all thank the gods and goddesses. <laughs> Let's just have a party because you're here. <laughs> thank you so much. And we, we, before we started taping, I, I was kind of telling Avery about what, you know, why did my convention started and what we think about. And I was, you know, before this, I, I've gotten to know you a little bit very briefly. And I I've obviously read your bio and before, but like, what convention have you not defined. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was talking about. Like, let me tell, maybe we should just tell, tell me about the really boring parts of your life because everything is so just trailblazing in every way. So, I mean, where do we even, where, what do you want to talk about? Where do you even start? Well, you know, it is interesting. I love this question about like a time when uh, I realized what had always been done wasn't working. And, and I did reflect to you before we started that that's kind of been the pattern of my life. And I don't see myself as a trailblazer. I, I usually like understood it to just be a necessity. And maybe for, for me, it is like, this isn't working. So I have to do something about this. And so I don't know, maybe, I, maybe that's something about drive or, or um, I don't know what it is that makes me tick that forces me to do that. But you know, I mean, the things I would list to you, I, you know, I grew up in a really conservative Christian religion. I grew up as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. And 
So that's, it's, you know, now in my adult life, I've come to call that a cult and I, I truly believe oh, that 100%. it is. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And, you know, I realized that was not working for me in my teens when I started to understand that I was queer in some way, wasn't quite sure how. Uh, so I left, which was like really traumatic because that was not working. Uh, so left that, which involved, you know, my family disowning me, a lot of kind of trauma there, uh, came out as a gay man, lived as a gay man for like eight years and then realized that that was not working. <laughs> and so then I, I really came to understand that I was trans. I transitioned at 30. Um, and then, you know, as you, you mentioned, uh, you know, in my bio, um, I spent a good amount of time studying religion and theology, invested a good amount of time in kind of Christian settings and figuring yeah. out a lot of different Christian settings. And then I realized from my study that that was not working, that there was something about Christianity, uh, both you know, intellectually and in my heart that just wasn't a fit. Uh, and I made the decision to uh, be a Jew by choice. So I, for whatever reason in my life there, I have probably done a lot more of that than better, which might look a little kind of um, uh, chaotic to some people, I think. But, you know, I always come back to the phrase, I think it's Bill Gates that said it, and he may have been quoting somebody else. You know, the key to success is failing faster. Oh, like, yes. when something isn't working, the key to success is going, this is not working. I'm going to stop doing it. Stop next. And next. I, just, I just have this theory. I don't know if this is proven or whatever, but I just had this theory. Like people are, people are like, you're so, you know, you're so successful. You're so good at things you try. And I'm like, no, I just try it more. I try more stuff. Like right. some people might try four things and succeed at one, right? And they're like, I'm only good at this one thing. Well, I've tried 400 things and I might be good at like 10. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so like, and then you know pretty quickly like after you start to practice that it just feels yeah and I think I was talking to somebody the other day about just feeling uncomfortable and like mm -hmm. that's where learning happens and when you're uncomfortable you're like hmm maybe something that I believe in or that I'm doing needs to shift and to understand that that feeling is a signal that something that you're doing or thinking or saying or interacting with has to rejigger somehow I and, love that. And once you like start to do that over and over and recognize that feeling, it gets to be a little bit easier. So you kind of do see that in patterns of people who are, I think, who are like living this defying um, because they're just good at recognizing that feeling faster, doing something about it faster because they've done it a million times. And I feel like I see that in your bio and from what I, the little, you know, that I know about you. And I just, yeah, you're like Christianity, not working. Jehovah's Witness, not working. Living in Florida, not working. Like what, all these things. Yeah, no, I, I love that though. I love that insight that you just offered, which is it's it's about courage, I think. Mm -hmm. A real And being uncomfortable. It's about the courage to kind of realize that something's not working and then the willingness to be uncomfortable and say, okay, what am I going to do with that and wrestle with that? And then maybe the tenacity. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the other thing that it takes. Tenacity, yeah. chutzpah whatever it is to say, I'm going to try a bunch of different things. Right. And, well, and see okay. what does work. One of the things that we talked about when we first met too, and you just brought up was the fact that like leaving Jehovah's witnesses means leaving your family. Right. And, and I know that you, isn't it your sister that has also left? Yes, she has. She left more recently. I think five years ago now it's been about five years. Yeah. So there's another facet of this, of like taking the, like recognizing that truth in yourself and doing something about it. You're going to leave people behind or things or things that you were important to you and maybe yeah. still are important to you, but there's a, there's a, there's a level of sacrifice that comes with doing these bold things. I think that is, 
is really scary for a lot of people. And some people I think are just more, are just happier holding on to comforts and kind of yeah. just kind of faking it. But yeah, most of the people I've interviewed for this are not. <laughs> That's right. why I like them so much. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. And, and yeah, so it's a really interesting question because I guess I don't think about it. I don't think about that as being unique because it's just the way I have lived my life. Yeah, same. But I do understand that it's not the way a lot of people live their lives. And so I think it's an interesting question to say why and what does it take? Um, yeah. But I, I also think your point is an important one that there is a cost to that. Yeah, there and, is and I, I don't spend too much time talking about or thinking about that, but you're right. I mean, there absolutely is, is a cost both personally, sometimes even professionally to say, I am not going to follow the rules and this isn't working. So I'm going to do something different. And even in professional environments, that's, that's risky, right? Yeah. It's risky. You see it a lot with people who have that drive to take risks or do something different or call something out and they're stuck in jobs where they really can't and they just fester and become like really unhappy. And unless they get out of that and like have someone as like sort of a cheerleader to get them to say, you can do this. You, and nothing is going to break. You're going to be okay. There's backups. We'll catch you. You know, it's interesting. You think about like the, the risk that it takes. One of the things I was thinking about when we mentioned career, you know, I was thinking about when I started transitioning, when I started transitioning, I was working in a federally funded agency. My job was hundred percent federally funded. And I worked with really high profile folks in federal government and in the for-profit sector. Wow. And the organization I worked in, we would we would convene these meetings to focus on suicide prevention as a national public health crisis. And, you know, around the table, the large U-shaped table we would convene would be literally the um, you know, U.S. Surgeon General, uh, high level folks from the Department of Defense. Right. So very high level public officials, CEOs of, of for profit companies. And there I was, I publicly transitioned in this environment, an environment that really is actually very conservative around gender presentation in general, like the federal government and those settings are, there's a lot of rules and conventions. And there I was like trying to figure my, my, you know, my gender out and trying to figure out what clothing worked best on my body and whether or not I liked heels. And in, in those spaces, which was a, a space that is all about not really defying convention. It's all about convention. It's, it's all about a certain set of rules, yeah. following them. I mean, the, even the meetings were just very highly ordered and um, you know, there's a certain air and, and level of respectability in those settings. And then there I was. And so, I mean, you know, I look at that now and I kind of laugh at myself like, whoa, like what a thing to do. And it was enormously risky. Uh, and, and I mean, I think probably in that setting, I probably got some side eye and probably my kind of career in that particular setting may have suffered a little bit because people are like, you know, this person's not following the rules. Um, but it was absolutely the right thing to do, you know? So, and I think it was probably the right thing to do for them too. Oh, 100%. I mean, they, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And mind you, this was during the Trump administration. So just to what? keep that in context. Oh, too, right? I was assuming it was during Obama. No. So mind you, these are also Trump appointed uh, officials, oh, many of them. So that was the type of environment. And, and there I was, right? So, um, you know, with executive orders being put out one after another against trans folks, uh, you know, there am I am sitting with folks in the Department of Defense. So that's the, you know, it is, um, wow. yes, that is particularly in professional environments, I think it's a risk to be yourself. Yeah. I've never heard anything more brave than that ever. I don't think like that takes serious guts in, in that setting. I mean, I don't know. That is like putting your, your career on the line in a lot of ways or the, the next step too. Yeah. 
you know, I, you know what you, like, tell me about that more. I want to know more like what we are like, all right, well, this is what I'm doing. So we're just going to go, we're just going to do this right now. Yeah. I, it, um, this is, I've always been a person that when I decide I need to do something, I spend, I spend a good amount of time thinking about it. Do I really want to do this and analyzing the risk, to be honest, <laughs> thinking about all the factors. But once I make the decision, I'm going to do it. I go for it. And that has been my pattern throughout my entire life. And, you know, as I'm sitting here, this is actually causing me to reflect a lot about why I'm that way. Cause I know that maybe isn't like the way the average person is. When I was 18, I think this is maybe an important factor for my life. When I was 18, I became very ill and I almost died. And, uh, you know, to the point my parents had called my sister home. She was living in New York to feel like, you know, they may not make it. And I think there's something about almost having died, particularly like, like a young age. I spent like my 18th year in bed where I realized, okay, like, what is risk, right? Like, you know, life is, time is precious and life is precious. And so I'm going to go for it. And so I think that may have really informed that, that I had that kind of really challenging situation at a young age may have helped me to say, okay, I'm going to take risks. Because I think before that, to be very honest with you, I was not a risk taker. So I do think there was something about that experience. It taught me a lesson mm -hmm. um, that I needed to, to take risks because time was short. Um, but yeah, I definitely spend a good amount of time beforehand, even though I take risks, thinking about what's involved. And then once I make the decision, it's, it's all go. It's all go. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of times there's no choice that you just have to, or else you'll, you'll, you'll die. Like I have felt like that a few times yes. where like, I'm not going to do this because if I keep doing this, I will end up in a hospital. Like I, my, I have a physical response to when I'm out of sync. And so like, yeah, like, like what my digestive system will shut down or my hair will fall out or something crazy will happen and dangerous things will start to happen. And, um, yeah. So sometimes they're just, it's just not a thing that's a lot of, you know, people talk about that who don't know about things, but th these are not choices. These are survival and you have to just keep going. And it doesn't matter who around you is, you know, you're just doing this because yeah. if you don't, you're going to lose your mind. Yeah. I think it's an amazing point. I, I don't, again, because like, I don't look at it as being a trailblazer. I, I have looked at it mainly as survival. Yeah. So it's really interesting, you know, I think from someone else's perspective, they're like, wow, you're breaking all these conventions. And I'm like, I'm just trying to survive as me. Trying to keep going. And this is what survival looks like. So, yeah. I know there's some people, and it's not like you do it for, you know, I was, I don't do what I do for like being notorious or anything. I mean, it, sometimes that happens. And I know there are a lot of people who don't like me and I just don't <laughs> care because like, I don't really have say in this like I'm just going to keep doing these things it comes out I don't know there's not a lot of stuff I have control over so this is what we're just doing but then um I don't know what else you want to bring up I mean I find the your divinity degree and your religious progression so interesting I find your job extremely interesting I find like the next your ideas of what you're going to do next extremely interesting um I mean where do you see other maybe not things that you're going to break apart, but like, where do you see any of those paths going or can we see those paths going places? Or are we just sort of, yeah, no, I don't know if we're trying to predict the future. <laughs> right. That's my constant question. I just started working with a leadership coach to try to figure this out. I, I do think where I'm at after, you know, really over a decade of doing this in multiple different ways, 
because I had a very conventional childhood. So I was not doing this as a kid. I think that where I, I'm starting to land is to say that what I needed was more spaces and more conversations like this, the space you've created right here to talk to other people who are defying conventions, who are being bold, who are being courageous, and to say, this is a possibility model of how you can live your life. Ooh, I uh, love that that's, idea. Yeah, that, and that's a term I'm borrowing from Laverne Cox, so I didn't create that, but <laughs> Laverne Cox talks about rather than role models, she talks about possibility models. And I love that because role models is kind of in my mind, you, you need to like become a template. Like it's, here's a template, become me. Well, we're all our own person, but a possibility model it expands your vision of what could be possible for your life. And so I think wherever I'm headed next is going to be about how do I create intentional spaces for that verbiage to become more common, for that conversation and that narrative to become more dominant, um, not just in people's personal lives, but in workplaces. Mm -hmm. um, because I think there's something really unique I've brought to every workplace I've been in because I'm willing to do that. And my biggest frustrations in workplaces are usually when I'm working with colleagues who are really not willing to do that, right? And so, so we become very limited and it limits what we're able to do. And the things I'm most proud of is when I broke those rules and was really creative and it just had huge gains for wherever I worked. Um, so I think, I think corporations and, and institutions are starting to understand the value of that, even though they see these folks like me and go, oh God, you're kind of risky. I think they also understand that we're so important. And so that's, I think, you know, wherever I'm headed next, that's, I want to create more spaces like that, to have that conversation, to um, attribute value to that, and to create spaces where folks feel like they can take the risks and be courageous, even maybe folks who it's not, doesn't come as naturally as it does for you or for me. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think everyone needs a, a little bit of a, not a push, but like a support. Because one of, I, I don't know if you've taken a strengths finder, it's one of my favorite things to do as like a diagnostic for management, but just for myself, and I've, I've taken it a few times over the last 10 or so years, and it's changed a little. It went from doing to thinking, but the thing that's kept consistent is this idea of being an activator. And I bet you have that in you too. Like I have convinced so many of my friends to start businesses or change jobs or apply maybe for a position that was a, they thought maybe a little bit out of their reach. And I just, I, I love being that person. It's just like, nope, here you go. Take, take the, take the risk. The right. risk is fine. The truth is uncomfortable just for a minute. You know, there's nothing, nothing terrible is going to happen to you. <laughs> just, just try, just see what happens. Like, why not? And that is, but seeing people like you or seeing other people who are not, you know, you see a lot of people who are really wealthy or come from wealth or come from a famous family like taking bold moves or doing big steps you're like well of course they do they have safety nets well i never right. had a safety net like that you know i never yeah. have a financial safety net i have a privileged safety net but not a financial one and like i'm very comfortable taking risks very 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 i love to take risks so even if i can do it uh and like most i think most people can probably at least try something a little bit different and that's yeah. like the whole point of like well i do it for my job and then for this podcast too, but one of the, one of the things that keeps coming up is, okay, so when this podcast was an in-person event and we had, we we're developing these different communities around risk takers and taking bold moves and people like talking about these big ideas and actually doing them and doing them together. And 
there's an energy about being in person that you just can't replicate on Zoom and that's where we live now. Um, so the question I, I always ask for people who are doing like going into a workplace, turning it on its head, showing it a new way, being a, a possibility model for others, how do you not burn? I get, a, even though I'm an introvert, I get energized by going to networking meetings or going to an event for some reason. Mm -hmm. I also get energized by staying home for long stretches of time. However, without that I, possibility of getting together, it's, it's really hard to stay focused or keep wanting to do things. Cause it's like, I'm just in my kid's art room right now and my computer and I've been here for a year. So how do you keep it? How do you keep going? What, what drives you? What motivates you? How do you take care of yourself? Oh, that's such a, a good question. Uh, it is a matrix of self-care strategies, right? I have a, a big toolbox with lots of things. I will say, I mean, a, a few things. One, I actually am really intentional about with my closest kind of friends who actually all live in other parts of the country. They've never lived here anyway. So maybe that's, I was kind of prepared for this pandemic is to have, you know, really long phone calls every few weeks with, with each of them. I have like a country of four or five of them. And you know, I'll spend like two hours on the phone, just unpacking life and talking and dreaming. And they're all people like you and like me who are rule breakers. And so that is really nourishing for my soul. Uh, and, and so that's something I've always done. And I've kept doing that during the pandemic. Um, I actually have never found a lot of energy from going to like big networking events or parties. <laughs> I really don't. Cause like that just so not what should happen, but it does. I don't know. Yeah. So that has been really nourishing. I mean, the other thing I will say, um, honestly, and you referenced my, my faith and religion several times is ritual is really grounding for me. Um, I am very observant of Shabbat, which is the weekly celebration, uh, of Sabbath that Jews observe starting on Friday evening and extending to Saturday evening every week. And I'll be honest, I, that truly has been enormously special and life-giving during the pandemic because it's, you know, in a pattern of life where everything is so much the same, it sets something apart as different. So mm -hmm. every Friday night, I'm lighting candles, I'm singing a prayer over them, I'm having a meal, which is, you know, too often I'm just eating in front of my TV these days, you know, but I sit at the dining room table you know, uh, with Nathaniel and sometimes with their brother and we have an actual sit down meal. And um, and honestly too, the other thing is when working from home, work is always here. I'm in my home office. So I turn my work phone and my computer off. I cover them with a cloth on Friday night and I do not touch work for Saturday. Mm -hmm. And so to me that work-life balance is like really harder during the pandemic. And so that's been something else that's really life-giving to me is to have a ritual that I enter into that is all about taking rest and kind of having a reset and giving myself permission to not work. Um, and that's been been really, really helpful and nourishing. There that's is something that, uh, this idea of ritual. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a religious person really at all, but for, it was funny because for a while, for two, for three years, I've been getting together with the same group of women the last Friday of every month, we burn things and we, you know, we manifest our lives and we had a lot of ritual baked in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think ritual is important. Yeah, yeah. I think ritual is important. It doesn't have to be from a traditional religious setting. I just happen to be kind of traditionally religious, but I do think, I think ritual is actually really important and grounding. Um, in some ways too, one of the things I think it allows us to do is when it's the same thing every time, it allows you to sometimes kind of enter into something where you can kind of turn off some of the 
the other stuff going on in your brain and just enter into something that's familiar and uh, you don't have to think. I love, um, that's my goal a lot of the times is to not think and, it, and like <laughs> medication or whatever, I will do it to, to close, to shut my brain down. But right. I, and even when I work, I, I blast music in my headphones or on my, just to shut out my noise in my head so that I can do the thing in front of me. And I've always done that. And it's, it is kind of like a little bit of a ritual. I keep a monthly music journal that I am obsessive about. I've done it for three years, every month for three years. And I am habitual, not maybe not ritualistic, but every Monday I look at my Discover Weekly and then I build all these different playlists and it, it, it reminds me of what I did and how I felt and who I was seeing and all the things. And that is like, I can go back in time now and re and, and see all those things again and hear them. Plus they're just really good music. But yeah, there's like something to do about that. Like I used to get up and walk to work every day, which we're not doing, but there's a different right. kind of movement every day and a different kind of morning thing and a different kind of evening thing. And there are, and I, I kind of like anticipate those every day where I get to shut off and do those. So yeah, I didn't think about that, but being a little bit, maybe a little bit more intentional about the, those moments every day or every week is great. Yeah. Yeah. Or what you need. Sometimes my, I think sometimes I don't even know what I need until I'm like at this level of stress that is debilitating. So it's right. nice to build those things in. So you sort of get ahead of that cycle of being right. so stressed yeah. out. Oh. No, I like that too. I'm, I'm an Enneagram person. Um, What's your Enneagram? Than, I'm an eight. On the Enneagram. Oh my gosh. Of course, you are. <laughs> of course you are. This is why we defy conventions. I'm an eight with a strong nine wing. I think I'm a two. I can't remember. Two wing? I don't remember. I know that I'm an eight though. Well, I just, it's always one of the numbers that's beside you, but eight goes to two in health. So anyway, I'm an Enneagram nerd. So we'll talk more about this. Okay, let's, but, I'll bring it. Yeah. But the thing is with me, with, with the Enneagram it has also been really helpful to me. And one of the things I know is when I'm not uh, as healthy, I go to five. And five is a place where it's all about kind of... Um, oftentimes seeking solitude, kind of oh, huddling yeah. down, researching, thinking about one thing very deeply. And so I do know when I'm not really very healthy, I need to go to that place. And I yeah. need to take some time where I, you know, so part of it is about being self-aware of what does it look like when you're getting to a place where you're not so healthy and what are the healthy ways to manage that? Mm -hmm. And whatever tool you use, if it's Enneagram or anything else, to me, it's very helpful to have a tool like that. That's like, okay, my eightness is showing up in ways that are not healthy for myself or others. <laughs> This is the way I need to manage that. Yeah, it's can get really domineering and out of control. I, I know that I can I can get that way. And then I can be very not communicative or just like not myself and just try to steer everything. And it's just not great. Yep. So I do the same thing of, of needing to be, I like to be alone for a long amount of time to do one very specific, tedious project by myself. Last weekend, I put in all new moldings in my hallway and dining room and I ripped out all my baseboards and I did a bunch of construction. Oh. <laughs> like that's the kind of stuff I, I have to make things and they have to be wow. complicated and tedious. Wow. And like with a lot of like logic of, well, what goes first and why? And I have to be by myself and I have to have really loud music on and I have to eat a pack on me. And these are the <laughs> things I know that reset my brain. I just, um, that's what I do. But that's funny. Cause if we're both eights, I think that I might be a five two. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that definitely the five thing what you're describing is is something it's very typical of going to five. So mm -hmm. no, that's fascinating. 
Oh, I'm gonna, I think that's a great place to land. And um, I'm so excited to get to know you more. And I'm for sure gonna go look at my Enneagram and figure out what I actually am because I know I'm neat. But thank you again, Avery. It's been so great to talk to you. I hope you all love this rejuvenating like I did. And um, I hope we have you back actually. Like I would love to see where you are in a year and see how things have changed. And I love that. We'll warm up by then. Well, this has been enormously life-giving. Thanks for creating space. Thank you, Avery. You too. Thank you.